Welcome to the Filipino American Women Project, a podcast show that shares stories and life lessons told by individuals living or have lived in America that are of Filipino descent and identify as female. I'm your host, Jen Amos, a fellow Filipino American woman, and I'm excited for you to join us. Let's get started. All right. Hi, everyone. Jen Amos here with the Filipino American Woman Project podcast show. And as always, I have my amazing, incredible, beautiful co-host, Nani Dominguez. Nani, welcome back to the show. (laughs) Thank you, Jen. Hello, everyone. I'm in a really good mood tonight (laughs) for some reason. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I really am. Because every time we do a show like this, it means that we get to interview another incredible woman, a Filipino-American woman in our community. So let me introduce you all to Christy Drutman. Christy is a creator and curator of Brown Girl Green. She is a Filipina-American environmentalist who interviews environmental leaders and advocates about culture, the climate crisis, and changing the image of what it means to be an environmentalist in the 21st century. Christy, welcome to the show. Thank you, everyone. I'm super happy to be here. Yes, we are ecstatic to have you. And might I add, I watched a YouTube video of you before the show talking about your podcast show. And I just have to say, I really love your voice. You have like this, this singer <laughs> raspy voice. Has anyone ever told you that? <laughs> oh, yeah. People ask me if I'm like a blues singer all the time. I'm like, oh, my gosh. I wish. Oh, my gosh. How funny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I definitely feel like you have the voice for it. Wow, thanks. <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome. You could always just like, if ever you go in like, like another country and no one knows you, you can say that and you're like, oh, but like, I'm, I'm too shy to sing. But yes, I can do that. I'm capable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, Christy, why don't you share with uh, our listeners, how did you hear about the Filipino American Woman Project? And more importantly, why did you choose to jump on to share your story? I am very happy to share that. I actually, I don't know which one of you slid into my DMs on Instagram, but someone slid into my DMs on Instagram and asked me, um, okay, amazing. Well, I guess it was you. That's great. And basically, oh man, I think it was last summer, I worked with Cambio and Co, which is like an amazing, so like Filipino owned like jewelry and like craftsmanship like own company they make like artisanal jewelry really focus on like the filipino diaspora and basically they let me do like an instagram takeover for them and basically long story short they featured me in a post and i guess you all found me through them and then you (laughs) messaged me on ig and i was like oh my gosh this is so cool i want to check out more of the content you all produce and I loved your color scheme. I love the color yellow. It's popping. And then <laughs> I love the concept, like Filipina American women. I mean, it's also Filipino American History Month. So yes. I feel like I've just been in very much the Filipino pride mood. And for me, like brown, girl, green is very much rooted in my Filipino identity. And so any opportunity that I could get to highlight that and and have that perspective be connected back to the work that I do, I really prioritize that. So I really wanted to be on this show to meet folks who are using their identity to empower 
others to feel comfortable in their own skin. And I feel like that's at the core of the work that you all are doing. And that's why I was very intrigued and excited to be on the show. Oh, well, thank you so much for saying that. And, you know, I think part of why I have decided to lead with my identity is because people ask me anyway. You know, they say, what are you? Where are you from? So it's like, you know what? I might as well embrace it. And I'm sure other Filipina Americans feel the same way. So let's just make a show about it because people are asking me anyway, right? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I literally, speaking of that, I literally am looking at this mini postcard I have on my mantle, my fireplace, and it says, wrong Asian, but okay. (laughs) Wow, that's great. I feel like Filipinos are the most, I feel like I could argue, I mean, there's no thesis on this, but I think Filipinos are probably like the least like you can tell someone's Filipino. Yeah, yeah. the most ambiguous type. for sure. Yeah, we are the most ambiguous Asian. Yeah, <laughs> I, I agree with that. Uh, I also want to thank you for complimenting our color scheme. Um, the yellow is actually the yellow from the Filipino flag. So wow. just a little, little uh, insight there in case anyone was wondering why we chose yellow. I also feel cool. like it's a very kind of non-gender color for anyone that identifies mm. as non-binary or Philippine X. Mm-hmm. So I just mm-hmm. thought it was like the perfect color, you know, for this brand, Mm -hmm. because it's really a project. And it's about like, the project is about what people are contributing to it. You know, not about what Mm -hmm. I think being a Filipino American woman is, but what everyone else thinks it is. And it's really a collection Mm -hmm. of our stories. And I think yellow is kind of a good way to represent all that, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, anyway, speaking of being a Filipino American woman, in which the show is about, I'd love for you, uh, Christy, to share a little bit about your family background and why you identify as a Filipino American woman. Ooh, I love that question. (laughs) Well, so I'm actually mixed race. So I'm half Filipino. So my mom is from Mindanao in the Philippines. She immigrated to the U.S. in the 80s when she was in her 20s. So I'm a second generation Filipino American, and my mom married my dad, who's a Jewish American, Polish and Russian. So on my Instagram profile, I call myself a Jew-pina. And it's not like I put the Jew before the Filipina because I think my Jewish identity is more important. It was more like it just sounded good. Mm-hmm. So, so <laughs> yeah, Pina Jew is weird. <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean? Pina Jew, like it sounds like a weird type of like candy that you don't want to eat. Anyways. It just doesn't flow the same way. <laughs> yeah, no, nothing about it. Anyways, so yeah, I would say that like my mom's experience, especially as being like an immigrant and like she came here like with her sister, but like pretty much was like on her own making her life in America by herself. She's like the beacon of what I consider like a Filipino American woman because she's someone that was very rooted in the American dream, but also is very rooted in her own like independence and like ruthlessness and like bravery as like a Filipina. She was like the first woman figure that I ever had in my life, obviously, <laughs> came out of her. <laughs> but Megan cut cut it came out of her. But anyways, um she was the first woman figure in my life who I like really saw like that what it means to be a Filipina woman means to like really hold it down for your family, to really have strong family oriented values and to stick to what you believe in no matter what, no matter what other people say or how they try to waver you or try to convince you otherwise. 
like you maintain your resilience. So she really taught me that. And so as I got older, even though growing up, I wasn't very much in tune with my Filipino identity besides the foods and maybe parties. By the time I was in college and actually started getting exposed to it, what it meant to be Filipino, like learning about the diaspora and our history, by the time I actually went back to the Philippines in 2016 for a summer program to live there for a whole summer, that's when it became very clear that like I am a Filipina and that, that there's so many parts of that identity that shape and root why I'm doing the work that I do today. So I would say that I couldn't be an environmentalist if I wasn't a Filipina. I mean, maybe I'd be an environmentalist, but I don't think I would be doing this work for this long had I not felt like rooted in my identity to like see why it's important that like I come from an ancestral line of like warrior women who have protected their land, who have protected their families, who protected natural resources and like planet Earth. And I feel like being a Filipino woman is rooted in that. And I feel like that's in my DNA and has like positioned me now to do the work that I'm doing at this time in history. So that's, that's how I define it, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. And I think that's super incredible. Talking about your trip to the Philippines, you know, you did mention that you were inspired there. Was there anything in particular, like maybe any places you visited or people you met that really got you to see like, yes, I have to be this Filipino American environmentalist? Oh, yeah. Summer 2016, I was interning for Ibon International. And I was doing a summer fellowship with them. And they allowed me the amazing opportunity to do an international solidarity mission, which basically brought people from around the world, but a lot of people from the U.S. and Canada and like in like the global north to go to Mindanao, where like my family's from. And like, that's the place I I normally go when I go to the Philippines. But this time I was actually going on an immersion trip to meet the Lumad and the Lumad are like, you know, that's like a very broad term for like the indigenous peoples of the Southern Philippines. So I actually went on an immersion trip and actually got to spend an entire week living and learning and doing on the ground journalism, interviewing Lumad tribal leaders and young people that were living um, on a school campus in the mountains of North Cotabato in Mindanao. And during that time, Basically, the reason why all these people were living on this mountain is because there was this whole conflict where there's this huge campaign that started on Twitter around that time, a bit earlier that year, like in the spring, called Bigas Hindi Balas. Sorry, my Tagalog is pretty crappy. But anyways, <laughs> it was no basically like rice not bullets, translate that as you will later on. And basically, the concept of that campaign was because of like climate change and a lot of like the dry spells that were happening to people's crops. And there's a lot of crop failures. So basically a lot of these farmers that lived in this small town in Mindanao, they started protesting their local government. They said, hey, you know, like we want sacks of rice because we can't grow crops. Like how are we supposed to feed our families? And instead of the government releasing sacks of rice, instead they went out in the streets started shooting these farmers with rubber bullets and it started this whole stir up where like then there started to become this huge discussion where people were saying 
okay, if you start complaining that government's not helping you get food or your crops are failing, blah, 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 and that like we need like a surplus of distribution of resources, then you must be like a communist, basically, or someone who's like a part of the new people's army, which is, you know, like the biggest, like considered like anti-government, kind of like our equivalent of Antifa, like there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, like a lot of these families that are kids of like farmers, you know, they live in these boarding schools. And basically, these these people would come in, the military would come into these kids schools, bring machine guns and tell the like, say that their families must be a part of the NPA or the new people's army, like accuse them. And then basically made these kids leave their families, leave their schools to go like evacuate, like, you know, miles away, and then these kids got rescued by this group called uh, MISFI, the Mindanao in- Interface Services Institution, and basically these people saved those kids and brought them to these, like, these, like, kind of sanctuary zones. So there's a lot of these kids that are living like this, like these indigenous children who, like, are like, I'm going to die for my land, but then they're being accused by the government for being a part of this, like, anti-government group, but then the anti-government group is kind of like, you know, we could use, like, these people as pawns for wow. our strategic gains against the government. So the, the indigenous people are basically trying to just, like, demand sovereignty. So both of these groups kind of leave them alone. But it's kind of impossible because their land is so resource-rich for mining and extraction that they're going to inevitably be caught in this kind of resource war. And so during the time when I was living in the Philippines, during that immersion trip, I was working with translators to gather all of that information from farmers, from tribal leaders, from children, like getting all their perspectives. And my my report is online. I'll definitely like talk about it at the end or like share it out. But I basically talked about everything that I learned while I was there that documents kind of the sequence of those events. And at that time when I was there... I don't speak Tagalog, but, like, my family speaks Visaya, and I was taught it as very little, but I don't remember much. But when I was there, I felt this deep connection to the Lumad, and I felt a deep connection to the people there, and I felt different than any of the other types of, quote-unquote, environmental activism I did in America. It felt like I'm actually seeing the impacts of this on the ground, and I'm seeing young kids as young as, like, eight years old saying, I don't care. I'm going to get like murdered for my land. Like they could take me away, murder me. I don't care. The land means everything to me. And for me, that made me feel like, what am I supposed to do? And I asked these kids, I was like, what should I do? Like, I was like, I want to help. What should I do? And they said, honestly, the biggest thing you could do for us is to like never stop telling our story. And Mm. that was like, and for me, that was where it started to click. I was like, yeah, like I have access to all these tools. And all of these like resource networks and I'm seeing these people who just want people to know who they are and what's going on. What is the truth? And so that's what really made me feel like as a Filipina, I have a distinct role and an obligation to the people of the Philippines specifically to be doing this work because I was deeply touched and personally impacted by it. So yeah. All right. Jenny was here jumping into the middle of our show as I always do to remind you why this show is possible. So, you know at the end of every episode, I tend to say, if you didn't catch our guest contact info, don't worry, we'll have those in the show notes. Check them out. I work so hard on them. You're welcome. Well, 
It's been brought to my attention that our show notes are not as easy to find as I thought, which is why starting summer 2020, the Filipino American Woman Project is proud to be partnering with Captivate, the world's only growth-oriented podcast host. Captivate is created for independent podcasters, designed from day one to help you to focus on audience growth and the expansion of your audio influence. One way that Captivate makes our lives easier as independent podcasters is by taking the guesswork out of making a website for your show. That's right, a website for your show. So listeners, starting summer 2020, finding our show notes will be so much easier. All thanks to Captivate. You're welcome, as always. If you're about to start podcasting or are getting burnt out from all the extra work of producing one, like building a website, consider a seven-day free trial, that's right, free, with Captivate by visiting thephilamwoman.com. That's the Philam, short for Filipino-American, woman.com. Or, you know, check out our show notes in the meantime, which is in the details section of each episode. Once again, you can visit thephilamwoman.com or visit the details section of this episode. Wow, that is incredible. You know, for me, my, my naive view of being an environmentalist is talking about like climate change, for example, like that's pretty much all I know. So, so I'm not going to act like I know a thing. But what I what I have learned uh, through you, Christy, and what you've been talking about so far is that, you know, to be an environmentalist, especially as a Filipina American, is to tell the story of how we have protected our land for so long. And how, you know, a lot of people don't realize like the reason why the Philippines was a central place for a lot of wars, really, you know, to, to use that as a pit stop is because of all the richness that we have there, like in our, in the ground, in the land. And so you have expanded my uh, worldview of what it's like to understand being an environmentalist mm-hmm. and um, how it really ties to being a Filipino American and to our ancestors and everything. Mm-hmm. So thank you for that. It's very eye opening <laughs> for me. Yeah. And one more thing I wanted to add, Christy, I was on your Instagram earlier and I saw a meme that you had posted talking about something like a, it was a meme side-by-side pictures of environmentalists trying to get the world to like see our points or something. And then the picture next to it, this girl just kind of staring there with a blank face. And it was like the rest of the world. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Uh, let me see. There's a lot. Hold on. It was funny. <laughs> that just That just reminded me of that. And basically how environmental work, I feel like, is something that you can talk to people until you're blue in the face basically about, but until they make that kind of personal connection, like how you were saying your identity really ties you, like roots you in the work that you do until you really make that connection for someone else that you're trying to explain it to, you know, they're maybe not going to get it in that same way. Yeah, exactly. I I found the meme. I like, I I don't know. I was like, yeah, I like me explaining like, that greenhouse gases are escalating and we're like freaked. It's like great. Yes. Anyways. Yes. Yeah, I mean for me the interesting thing is like, for example, like my mom is so supportive of like the work that I do now. But when I was first doing it or studying it, like she really didn't understand and was just very confused and was like, What? I thought you were gonna go to law school. Uh-huh. Like what's going on? Like, why are you doing this? My mom has never been someone who's like, which I'm really grateful for. She was never like, you have to do this career path or like, we're done here. It was more like, you know, I want you to be happy with whatever course you take. 
But then, like, you know, she she did get worried and was like, you know, how are you going to get a job after college? Or how are you going to, like, do these things? And which, which is normal. But it was also, like, this weird thing where I started being like, yeah, like, I don't see any Filipinos doing this work. <laughs> and I was like, and this is weird. And then I started questioning myself. And so it was a matter of me starting to having having to def- redefine it because this is my opinion. I think there's a difference of being a Filipino American who like you're tied to your identity and maybe you were even raised with the language and you were very rooted with the traditions. Maybe both of your parents are Filipino and you grew up with a very like Filipino American lens. I think that's way different than actually a Filipino American who goes and actually like lives and experiences the Philippines and has that experience and like that understanding of their culture through that lens. And I don't think one is better than the other, but I definitely know for me, like, I just know for myself, like, I feel like I still connect more with my friends who are from the Philippines than Filipino Americans who live here. And like Filipinos, I met in the Philippines understand more about why I do the work that I do more than Filipino Americans do here. So it's right, because they're there living in it. Yeah, exactly, because they're there living it. And then here, Filipino-Americans just wouldn't understand why I would do that because you don't see any Filipino-Americans, like, doing that work. So there's not a lot of representation. So then they don't see it as, like, something they'd be, like, interested in getting involved in. So I don't know. Yeah, I think there's... I think observation there's... I've had. I think there's definitely not that I have like lived in the Philippines. I had visited like for family like weeks or a month at a time. And it was really only a couple of years ago when I went on this missions trip with a couple of community leaders in San Diego where we traveled around the Philippines, especially around Tacloban after I believe it's called Typhoon Yolanda or Hurricane Yolanda. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to have to look that up again. I never know the difference between a typhoon and a hurricane. But anyway, (laughs) but anyway, I remember we had an opportunity to see like the best and the worst of the Philippines. And that experience really resonated with me more than just going to visit my family. Now, I I don't feel like I can relate to people that are living in the Philippines in any way. I feel like I have a sense of what you're saying, where it's like, there's something about the motherland that really wakes you up, I think. And it kind of just makes everything else back at home, like in America, like it makes so much more sense. Like I have a better mm-hmm. understanding of my mom and my family and my relatives because of mm-hmm. the, because of the time that I visited the Philippines, like without them. And mm-hmm. so I have a sense of what you're saying. And uh, I definitely like for my friends who had never, ever been to the Philippines that are Filipino American. Yeah, you could definitely tell the difference. And just like what you said, like not in a bad way. It It's just a different story, a different perspective, yeah. I think, you know. Yeah. So I totally like can understand what you're saying. Yeah. So speaking of which, Nani is actually going to be going to the Philippines for the first time in January. Yay! I'm so excited for you. I'm so excited. It's been such a long time coming that I've been trying to plan a trip here. So, And I'm already planning my next trip 
after this one. So <laughs> very <That's> excited. <laughs> yes. So we will hear more about Nani's story later, uh, probably in February when we um, start up like interviews and everything again. Anyway, let's go ahead and fast forward to your life today, Christy. We've already been talking a lot about some of the work that you're doing, but for people that are getting to know you for the first time, why don't you tell us yeah. about your life today, particularly what keeps you busy and most excited? I especially want to hear about Brown Girl Green. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so my day-to-day life is as a, yeah, like a digital media strategist. So I'm basically working as a digital media strategist, like trying to figure out creative ways to talk about climate change and environmental issues. And I developed my series and my brand, Brown Girl Green, around a year and a half ago at this point is when it really started getting, yeah, like picking up. And I I thought of Brown Girl Green as a platform for like healing for me as like a Filipino American, like I kind of alluded to earlier in this interview. I didn't see many people who looked like me in my classes at UC Berkeley. I didn't see many people like in the environmental field that I could look up to or I could talk to. And I faced a lot of different like very specific pressures growing up in an immigrant household by pursuing the environmental field and not being able to take things like unpaid internships or or just like low paying jobs due to the pressures of sacrifice and, you know, wanting to take care of my family and things like that. And I started to notice all of these disconnects between the mainstream environmental movement and my own lived experiences as like a Filipino American and was like how do we bridge the gap? Like, I'm able to be in these spaces. I'm able to be the token brown girl. But I want to bring more people of color into these spaces. I want to just bring more people in general into these conversation spaces around climate change because the issue is so urgent. And I want to be a content creator who's basically holding space for other people to, like, rediscover their connection to the environment as well as to, you know, come up with creative and like cutting edge, like environmental storytelling that can mobilize people and get people to take action in their everyday lives around the environment. And, you know, I just kept consuming media that was focused on environmentalism, but it was mainly all like white women, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But I was like, when That's not going to inspire that, the people you want to inspire. Yeah, you only have yeah. that one perspective and you're telling people to buy like $30, $40 things. Like it's just going to like go over their heads. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I want to create content that's not just about you buying your way to a sustainable lifestyle. It's about like really reframing your relationship with the earth and how you interact with it and to feel like you can be a part of that story too. So that's what I work on like every single day is, is that, <laughs> and that's, yeah. that's my life in a nutshell currently. Yeah. I love that you point out that it's not necessarily about buying your way into a more sustainable lifestyle. It's about reframing your relationship and learning how to essentially use less or, or consume yeah. less and that that's the drastic need or that's the drastic change that's needed to, you know, make any headway in the damage that's already been done. And I think that that's 
a huge point to highlight because everybody just thinks, oh, well, I'm going to use these reusable straws or I'm going to use, you know, not buy plastic containers and only buy glass or, but at the end of the day, that stuff all has to be broken down somehow. Yeah. And with that said, Mm -hmm. do you think that you can expand a little bit on your idea of how capitalism relates to climate change and what some more like realistic kind of goals that people can start with instead of, you know, trying to buy glass versus plastic or whatever people are into these days? (laughs) Well, yeah, so I feel like capitalism in general focus on like a scarcity mindset. So people are just stocking up on a bunch of things that they don't need because they think it's going to run out or, you know, they think it's like the coolest, best thing ever. So it needs to be invested in right now. And then they get bored and they go a year later and they buy double the amount of stuff and then they get tired of that stuff and then they just dump it into landfills and it just continues filling that. But even more than that, even more than like the, the global waste problem, like capitalism is like based on resource scarcity. So it's also about like how it's assuming that like we need to be like plundering indigenous people's land in order to fund these like big expansive development projects or high rises or and all of these like really expensive infrastructure projects or oil rigs um or like fossil fuels like there's all these assumptions because currently capitalism is favoring the one percent it's favoring people that have access and privilege who are at the top of the economic pyramid Whereas like, you know, the other 99% are just left to fend for themselves and, you know, are convinced that like, you know, there is equitable distribution of like resources when there's not. Like there's people that are hoarding resources and there's people that are being deprived of resources and people that are just like fighting to survive. I mean, we just this past week saw like, we saw protests all over the world from like, Chile to the Middle East, like all over the world this past week, just because of this exact principle that like people are getting fed up that there's like a small portion of elite people in power that are trying to hoard resources and money and power from the majority of people. And that's just going to continue to like widen the inequality gap. So I think so how capitalism relates to the environment is that capitalism generates global inequality. And global inequality is going to continue pushing those who are in the most vulnerable positions and the most vulnerable exposures to climate change to be even more vulnerably exposed to said things in order to survive. And so I think that tangible things people need to be talking about more is the global inequality issue, thinking about how are we bridging the education gap, access to basic human rights and and human needs and resources. I think people need to like really be thinking about who's working on that. What is like the geopolitical like history behind that finding nonprofits or organizations that you support that are really like thinking critically about how resource distribution being made is a really huge step. Another thing is getting I mean, depending on where you live, 2020 election is going to be a really huge moment for people to really think about the candidates they're electing and how those candidates are making stances around a Green New Deal or an environmental future. If you don't know what the Green New Deal is, I highly recommend you Google it. 
it's really fascinating. And on top of that, to look into a Red New Deal, because that talks about indigenous rights in addition to environmental policymaking. And we need to be thinking about who are we electing to be in positions of power in this upcoming election, who are going to be starting to address these forms of inequality on like a broader national scale, which basically would mean like pushing forward things like a Green New Deal or pushing forward policies that are going to like focus on more equitable resource distribution, making polluting companies pay, et cetera. But that's going to look different in like every same community across the country. And like the last tangible thing is like, start looking into your actual like communities, like disaster relief, like policies. Like, I don't think a lot of people know, like, does your city have a climate action plan? Like if your city starts going underwater or there's wildfires. Do you know what to do? Right. Do you know what to do? Is your city, is your like city council, like have they actually passed a resolution that like everyone knows what's happening? Are there actual trainings about that? And I think if that doesn't exist, like there need, there, we need people who are working on that too. So those are my top three things is always thinking about like resource distribution, voting power, and like disaster response. That was off the top of my head right now. I haven't been asked that question recently. but <laughs> Well, you did great. That I, was great. <laughs> okay, awesome. I think those are like really tangible things people can do. So, yes. And yeah. that's, I think that that's the point because there are people like me or I don't know what Jen's background in environmentalism is, but I'm not super up on like, I'm, I don't know how to recycle. Like I'm one of those people in the meme with the blank face. You know what I mean? <laughs> not that I don't care. I just, I just don't know. <laughs> and barely um, any of the things that you recycle actually get recycled. So recycling. Right. And that's what I've been told. That's why I kind of gave up on trying to learn what the proper process is. (laughs) Because I'm like, it all goes to the same place anyway. Like someone showed me a picture. (laughs) It does. That's so yeah, for for like, I think that that's most people's kind of understanding, though. And I think that that's why it's important to highlight, you know, you don't need to go out and like throw away everything in your house that's plastic, but what is something realistic that you can do yeah. like that? I do have one yeah. other question for you. When you were in the Philippines, did you visit Smoky Mountain? I know about Smoky Mountain, but I did not go to Smoky Mountain. Okay. That's like first on my list when I get there is to go there. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I went to Tondo, but that's definitely not exactly Smoky Mountain. But yeah. I, like, experience a semi, yeah. But basically, I, I think that that would be a really amazing experience for you. Yeah. I mean, I don't know why I'm so fascinated by it, but I'm just like, wow, this cannot be, like, real living conditions for people. And, you know, the people that live there in that area, their jobs are to sort through that those mountains of trash. Yep. For anyone who yeah. doesn't know what Smoky Mountain is, it's like a, it's like a trash dump, right? Like a trash, a dumping site. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Okay. It's a trash dumping site in uh, Tondo or somewhere around Tondo in Manila. And it's, I've just seen pictures and YouTube videos so far of like mountains that look like hillsides of trash that I just, I can't believe that that's real living conditions, like I said, for some people. So anyway, I was just curious if you saw it in person. Yeah, actually, I just Googled it, and now I remember. I think, yeah, that is where I went. Because I was like, I've been to Tondo. Oh, so, yeah. yeah. I did go there. Yeah, I did go there. I was like, 
wait, why does that look so familiar? And then I, because I didn't want to oh, say wow. I went there and then like, assumed, but yeah, that, <laughs> I literally have a picture of me on my Instagram people from, but you got to like deep Instagram stalk me back in 2016. Oh but, my gosh, yeah, I'll have to scroll. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my amazing, my amazing mentor gave me a tour there because she knew, she like knew people that like actually lived there. So she actually let me tour yeah. it. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's amazing. I'm I'm gonna go and I just I can't imagine it's gonna be a a good experience. But I mean, not oh, yeah. good. But it's like a, I, I'm a, I'm sure it's not gonna yeah. be happy, but it's gonna be good. <laughs> oh yeah, no, like yeah, it was amazing street food there for sure, though. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> okay, to <laughs> good down. to know. <laughs> definitely know how to get down, but yeah, it is really fun. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, I'm not going to pretend like I know anything about this. So I just, but I do feel like, uh, Christy, you have just scratched the surface of all these issues on this show. Um, I think this is the first time we're really talking about it. So I want to thank you so much for sharing all of your knowledge thus far. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what the common thing I hear on the show is when Filipino American women say, I noticed in my industry, I don't see any other brown girls like me. (laughs) And it's got me to realize that, you know, of all the things that we know Filipino American women can be, one thing for sure is that we're trailblazers. You know, a lot of us end up in these, you know, very maybe white male dominated or just white dominated Mm -hmm. um, industries. And, Mm -hmm. you know, most of these people are very articulate because they were culturally raised that way. And so to kind of be that only brown girl in the room, like, and and I can just tell how hard you've been working at all of this because I could just listen to you all day, but we only have so much time. (laughs) But I, I just am in awe of how well you can explain all this and really make it so that I feel less intimidated by the topic of mm. climate change and being an environmentalism. Did I say that right? Inven- environmentalism? Yes. <laughs> quite honest. Quite honestly, I was almost afraid to say that. I was like, environment, you know. But anyway, um, no, you you made you made me feel a little more connected, you know, to the environment overall, just knowing that like we, you know, the, the warriors of our day before pre-colonial times were protecting the land. And even during colonial times, it was about that and, uh, and mm-hmm. fighting for the land and everything. And so I just, uh, at least from, from my knowledge, anyone can correct me if I'm wrong. That's totally fine. But no, I, I, just, I just feel more connected to the environment. And I just want to thank you so much for that and also for being a trailblazer in the industry. So, so kudos to you, girl. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. Thank yeah. You. Well, I want to make sure that we finish on time. So let's go ahead and shift gears and talk about my favorite part of the interview. And so really, the purpose of the Filipino American Woman Project is to publish a book which will have a collection of uh, stories and life lessons told by the Filipino American woman. So this is my favorite part because this part will most likely end up in the book. Uh, I mean, amongst other (laughs) things, I'm sure. But anyway... I always like I always add footnotes when I explain things. I realize I do that a lot. Um, anyway, so Christy, you have mentioned that embracing the path less followed can allow you to learn how to love and trust yourself and to live a more enriching life despite the odds against you. I'd love for you to elaborate on that and maybe share one story or a particular story that led you to this life lesson. Yeah. Well, for me, I just have always felt like no one could put me in a box. And I feel like most of my life, people have doubted me and Mm. my abilities. And I feel like I had to continue to find the strength within myself to keep carrying myself forward, 
whether people didn't think I was smart enough or they thought I was too nice or they thought I was too quiet or timid. I've always have flipped people's expectations. That's like been a common thread since I was like, as far as I can remember, since I was like five years old, (laughs) when my kindergarten teacher like literally, you know, told my parents that she wanted to hold me back because she thought I had like a mental disability because I was a slow learner. And then she like, she left, she left the school for several months. And then I came back and I was like top of my class. And it was just because I was actually being nurtured by the substitute teacher who took her place. And I realized I always look back at that example as like, no, these things aren't hard. I just need like a community to back me up to make me Mm -hmm. feel like I'm a boss ass bitch. That's right. And that's always And I think I realized that that's been a common thread throughout my life that like I can keep pushing the limits and not having anyone box me in. And I'm going to find the people along the way that are going to lift me up and support me in that. And I keep trusting that and it keeps happening. So I just keep going with it. And I think that for me, like another like amazing example of this is with Brown Girl Green, like honestly, like this just started out as an idea, like an idea that I just came up with one random day. I was like, I'm going to just do this. And then out of nowhere, these past two years, I have made some of my best friends and like close colleagues and mentors just by doing this project. I don't know where it's going to go in the next year or five years or 10 years, et cetera. But the fact that like I was able to trust myself enough to create the path that's less followed. And again, there's no one out there that's doing this, in my opinion, the way I'm doing it and the way that I look and the way I present it. I feel like I am still on that vibe as I was as a five-year-old that like I know that as long as I keep calling in the people that are meant to be in my life, like whatever happens from that is going to be awesome because I believe in myself. And I think that that has been a huge thing. Like Brown Girl Green for me is an active act of self-love in practice. I That's my goal for it is to just show that like I am not ashamed of who I am anymore. And Mm. I want this platform to teach other people that they don't have to be ashamed, that they don't know everything either. And that we can support each other through this really difficult and dark time in humanity. And I just want to be like a beacon for that. And I think that that's what I want my platform to be. And that's what I'm working on to become. Well, I feel it. I feel it and I that was a long pause. I feel it and <laughs> I was like, I was like, is it getting absorbed right now? <laughs> no, that that was beautifully said. I love how you say that what you're doing, your project with Brown Girl Green is an active act of self-love. I think that's so beautiful. And I think that for all of our listeners, in any endeavor that you're doing, anything that you're doing today, what you're doing really is an active act of self-love. You know, to put yourself (laughs) out there, to pursue your passion project, to pursue the profession you want to do. It is an active act of self-love. So beautifully said, Christy. Wow, we've had such an incredible conversation with you today, and I know we can talk forever. But (laughs) until we have another conversation for another time, how can our listeners get a hold of you? Yeah, you all can check me out on social media, Brown Girl Green, on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. You can also check out my podcast that I'm still developing 
but have released episodes for on wherever you get your podcast. And yeah, and then you can stay in touch with me. My email is browngirlgreenshow at gmail.com if you want to be in touch. would love to connect with others across the world. Awesome. And if you all did not get that, as I always say at the end of the show, I am a super generous host. It'll be provided in the show notes for you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Christy, thank you so much for your time. Nani, thank you for co-hosting with me as always. Um, And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening in. And we look forward to speaking with you on the next episode. Tune in next time. Bye, guys. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much.